0: Please remain standing while we read from God's Word in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22, Just as a sideline, seeing Beatrix here in orange. I have to think back of Queen Beatrix, my former queen from the House of Orange. Very appropriate. Thank you. (laughs) The scripture this morning comes from Ephesians 2, and I'd like you to think back about your silent meditation before we started. Yeah, where we read uh, from, you know, Eugene Peterson's translation, uh, sometimes freely, but very much to the point. And he says there, then he started over. And at the end, he says, a fresh start for everybody. Think about the starting over and a fresh start for everybody. Now we'll go to God's Word. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, or what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, he who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, and so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached. Peace to you who are far off, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to one spirit, to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also, by being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. O Lord, reading those words from the Apostle Paul, we can see what a glorious news he's sharing with this congregation. And that, having lived in this city for almost three years, he knew very well. He knew of the separation between Jews and Gentiles. And he again proclaims the truth of the gospel, and that in Christ, we are one. that message was true then, and it's just as true today. I pray, Father, that through the working of the Spirit, Pastor Andrew can make us understand what it means to be fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. I pray this in the precious name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. All right,
1: here we go. Continuing through the book of Ephesians. If you remember, uh, Paul started in chapter one just celebrating God. Uh, He begins with God, he celebrates the, the work of God. There's something really instructive for us there as we think about how to relate to God, looking at Ephesians, seeing how. Paul leads us in that direction. Toward the end of chapter 1, we said he makes this great claim that Christ is above all and and over all, that all the principalities and powers both of this age and the age to come are in subjection to Christ. And then uh, in chapter 2, he is moving into two proofs. Uh, He has stated sort of his proposition Uh, And now he is going to seek to prove that those things are true. Verses 1 to 10, the first proof of the the great victory of God is what he has done in us as individuals, that he um, he has come to a community of corpses, as it were, and he has injected us with life. We were dead, but now are alive. And then the second proof that he is going to be looking at, and we'll look at it both today and next week, verses 11 to 22, is he goes on and he says, furthermore, uh, not only has God made you who were dead to be alive, but he has also made you into this new humanity uh, where there is true peace. Uh, through the finished work of Christ. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. This was obviously a huge issue in that world. There was, uh, you know, folks throughout the the Roman Empire lived under the the Pax Romana, the, the peace of Rome. But there was a falseness to that peace because so many people were living under the Pax Romana as slaves. Uh, They were uh, working to support the Roman government. They were in poverty, all of these things. And, you know, they were saying, peace, peace. But there, there really is no peace in their communities. As, as folks were coming to the faith, recognizing Jesus Christ, there was this sense of friction that existed between the Jew and the Gentile, but against all sorts of different communities and backgrounds and all of that. And Paul wants us to really think about peace Uh, We, of course, recognize this in in our own world, uh, the longing that we have for peace. Uh, One writer, this is actually a little bit older, written in the 70s, he said in the last 300 years, there have been 386 wars in Europe. We know that there have been more since then. Since the year 1500, there have been 8,000 known peace treaties that have been signed. Each one was signed with the intention that it should last forever in in perpetuity. But the average length of each peace treaty was two years. Uh, And and so we live in a world that cries out for peace. You know, we, we know it not only sort of on these corporate national levels where we see wars and rumors with wars, but we also see it in our own lives. You know, we want peace with, within our families. We want peace with our friends. We want peace at, at work in a, in, with our bosses and co-workers. We want peace within uh, our neighborhoods and communities. We, we see all of this friction and we long for peace. We want peace within ourselves sometimes. You know, as we're awake in the middle of the night and, and we're so roiling with anxiety and we're so filled with our own personal tensions, we ask ourselves, is, is there any peace. So that's what we want to do this morning, is we want to walk through this. It's really one section, 11 to 22. Paul is is making the case for the need for peace and then the source of peace, and that's what we're going to do today. And then next week, we're going to look at the result of the peace that Christ has made as we look at the church in verses 19 to 22. So today, the, the need for peace, uh, our separation, if you will. Uh, this is Paul's diagnosis uh, of the reality. And note here that Paul is, is preaching within the walls of Ephesians. Uh, in verse 12, therefore, or verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you, Many of you, Ephesian Christians, were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in flesh by man. Remember how at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, uh, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope, without God in the world. There was hostility. Uh, There was the dividing wall of hostility, verse 4. 14. And and this is the reality of the situation in Ephesus. Now again, I I highlight Paul is preaching within the walls. He's not saying that Jew-Gentile, that's the only divide that we have to worry about. Uh, There there are many sources of divide, and Paul wants us to to take a look inside and understand how these divides come to be and what the significance of them is, and in particular, what the significance of this Jew-Gentile divide is. Uh, so, Paul is saying, you know, part of the reality here is that there is this hostility that has arisen because of the dividing walls that are there. Jews and Gentiles were legitimately hostile to one another in the first century, um, William Barclay, who is a a rather notable commentator on the New Testament, says this. He says, the Jews had immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. It's not a very complimentary thing to think about your fellow human being. Um, It was not even lawful. "...to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need," that is, uh, when she was delivering a child, "...for that would be simply to bring another Gentile in the world. Until Christ came, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or vice versa, a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy..." The funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Uh, such contact, contact with the Gentiles was the equivalent of death. So, so Paul here is saying, like, this is real, and, and you know it. And you have your labels for people when you see them in the marketplace. Oh, there goes that uncircumcised, uh, you know, or on the other side, there are those circumcised ones. And and there is this dividing wall. It even worked its way into their religious observation. Uh, Many of you know that in the temple you have the Holy of Holies and then you had the court of the Jews and the court of the Gentiles, broadly speaking. And uh, the, the court of the Gentiles uh, was there ostensibly to welcome the Gentiles because God had made these covenants with Abraham in order that they would be a light to the nations. Uh, but the Gentiles were made aware that they could go this far and no farther. There was a distinction. In fact, it, it said at the place where it was divided, like if you go any farther, you, are, uh, you will die, uh, basically. You are worthy of death. So that was the notification uh, moving from the outer court to the inner court that, that you were worthy of death at that point. And, and this, this hatred, this, this feeling was, was, so, was so entrenched in them as a community, it was so deep. But it was something that, that wasn't supposed to be that way. God never intended for that. In fact, some say that God never, um, uh, never ordered the making of the court of the Gentiles. And we do know that when Jesus comes and he cleanses the temple, it's specifically the, the cleansing of that outer court. And, you know, a lot of times we focus on the commerce aspect of that, but you remember when, when Jesus cleanses the temple, what does he say? He, he quotes Isaiah and he says, you know, my, my father's house is to be a house of prayer for many nations. Uh, there is a certain sense in which he's saying, you are not being who you are meant to be because you are not welcoming those Who are different from you. You are not welcoming those who uh, don't bear this mark of circumcision this external sign. And and that really is the source of the problem. So two things here. We've got the separation that we're talking about. First is the reality. Hopefully you've grasped that uh, now. The the second thing, though, is the source. You know, where does this come from? How did this become such an enormous thing? Well, we're we're told in in verse 15 that... uh, Christ has made peace, uh, broken down the dividing, broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments and exp- that have been expressed in ordinances, that He may create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So we're going to dive into this a little bit in the second point more, just the the work of Christ, but what we have to understand is what he's talking about here with regards to the law. Because one way you could read this and say, well, it was the law that was the problem. But that was not, the the law wasn't the problem. Uh, We we know that for a couple of reasons. Like, one, God would have never given a law uh, that would have been ultimately problematic. Uh, God gave a law that expressed his heart, and and there was goodness wrought up in that law. God's intent from the beginning was that the Jews would be a light to the Gentiles, and that they would be received, and they would be brought in under all of the covenants that were made with representatives of the Jews, Abraham Abraham. Jacob, others, uh, but they were for all the people. So the law is not inherently uh, divisive in that way. Now, it it does have separation aspects to it, uh, but those separations were with regards to their relationship to God, not necessarily. Uh, meant to be completely exclusive outside of that. The second thing, and just even from the New Testament, Paul's own testimony, 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, we know that the law is good for those who use it lawfully. And that seems to be the rub here. And, and that's what Eugene Peterson and, and the... And the uh, Um, the translators of our text get at here when they talk about the expressed ordinances. Uh, Peterson, and in the quote that you read a little bit earlier, uh, said he tore down the law that we use to keep others at a distance. He repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than he helped. Uh, then it helped, and, and then he started over. What, what, what Paul is saying here is, is that the people, the Jews, have hijacked the law, and, and rather than use it for this thing that would lead people to, to Christ— Uh, this mirror that would help them to see their need for Christ, that would bring people under the grace of Christ, they have used it as this uh, weapon to keep people out and separated and apart. And this is the very heart of our separation. The separation that we experience comes from this tendency that we have within uh, to use God's good gifts, whatever they might be, uh, to, to accentuate things that benefit us and to bludgeon those uh, that are apart from that. And I think you recognize that you know, we're not in the situation of Jew and Gentile, but we do that all the time. Uh, we, we we do this with uh, our, our gifts, our, our intellect. I mean, I just think theologically how we oftentimes will do this. We have a certain understanding, a certain thing, and we say, well, those people, you know, it's not circumcision and uncircumcision, but it's, you know, whatever. It's the Baptists, the Catholics, the Presbyterians. We, we use these labels to accentuate our you know, our rightness, our goodness, and to accentuate the ways that other people fall short. Uh, as, uh, you know, Elder Striefkirk prayed earlier, I mean, we're, just, we're rife with this in our current political climate. You know, using these labels, we create our fences, we create our our walls, walls that highlight the positive things that we have, and then labels that that condemn other people. Now, there may be right and wrong in this, and I'm not saying that there is, I'm certainly not saying that there is no sort of moral arc to the universe, or there's not absolute truth. Certainly would never say that. But we have to recognize that our tendency is not to necessarily Go towards that absolute truth, but to make ourselves absolute. And that is why Jesus had to die. That is why the only thing that could bring peace was uh, for Christ to go to the cross and to have his blood poured out and to have his body given for us because the, the issue is not what's out here, the issue is what's in here. You know, we are all, we are all these folks who will erect these dividing walls, you know, however we want to define them, we will all erect these dividing walls to favor us and to bludgeon uh, those who are a little bit different than us. So, Paul talks about shalom. If, if, if we talked about, first of all, the separation, the reality, the source, uh, you know, that's the diagnosis. Now Paul is talking about peace. This is the cure. What is the cure? It is nothing less than the death of the Son of God. Uh, It was His work going to the cross in absolute weakness becoming sin in our place. Uh, it, It was His going to the cross that killed the hostility. It is in Him, it's in His finished work that we truly have peace. And what Paul is saying is it can be achieved in no other way. There is no Other way that we can begin down this road to peace, both this peace that has separated us from God, we see that in verse 12 says, when you were Gentiles and apart from the covenants of promise. You know, we heard one of those covenants of promise this morning in in Isaiah 54. You were apart from the promise of peace. When you were apart from that, you had no hope and you were without God in the world. But the only thing that can bring you peace is, is Jesus' substitutionary atonement on the cross where he died in our place. thats the only thing that can be, bring peace between God and man. And this is sort of a continuation of the first 10 verses where he said, you were dead and now you are alive. You were at enmity with God and now you are brought to peace. And then that peace can begin to extend uh, to, to all people. Uh, through the finished work of Christ, through particularly the work of the church as we're going to see uh, in fullness next week. So what does this mean? This means that anything that falls short of dealing with the junk that is in our hearts uh, that we call sin and enmity, anything that falls short of that is never going to work. Uh, and, and this is why, you know, in the midst of all of these cultural conversations where we're looking for solutions, we're looking for peace, we're looking for uh, unity, we're looking for justice, if it doesn't deal with our hearts, you know, it, it's simply not going to go deep enough. It's going to heal lightly. I, I think about that, you know, ways that we have tried to, to fix the situations in, in our world. You know, some people focus on the structures uh, that are in the world and the systemic uh, aspects of our society that divide people. Now, of course, those structures need to be fixed. And of course, we need to pay attention to those things. But we can't simply focus on the structure without recognizing that it's people and it's their hearts and it's their propensity to divide and to label and to operate with pride. That is what has created the structures in the first place. So if you attempt to deal with the structures without dealing with the heart... You're just going to, you're going to make a superficial, uh, temporary healing, and, and more than likely, you're going to set up an equally divisive structure uh, in its place. You know, education. You know, we have this notion that children don't come into the world um, as, as racists, or people, children don't come into the world as those who are naturally divisive. Uh, and so, we, we have children's books, uh, The Anti-Racist Baby. Uh, if we can just read this book to the child, then therefore, you know, will, you know, a system of education will change those things. Now, I'm not saying that the book is in and of itself bad, but, but by itself, <laughs> it will never, ever really get to the root of the problem, because the root of the problem is, is us. And, and that is the whole point of the cross. You know, when we when we go on up to the mountain of mercy, uh, that beautiful scandalous night, and we look at the cross, and we look at what it took for God to bring peace into the world, and we recognize that it's our sin. It, it's our hardness of heart. It's our prejudices. It's our hatred of other people that are not like us. It's us that is the problem. Then we really get to the point where we can understand uh, the peace that God is offering. Because God is offering a peace that doesn't just heal lightly, but it heals all the way down. It's a shalom that goes from head to toe, inside out, and offers us truly, uh, offers us a true hope. And part of what Paul is saying here is it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or, or any of these things. He says he came and he preached peace to those who were, come on, Far and then he also preached peace to those who were near. So, Paul preached peace. He preached the same gospel message no matter where you are on the religious scale. You know, the Jews had this this ceremony. It was called bringing nigh, and that was how proselytes were brought into the Jewish faith. And, you know, the word in King James is nigh, you know. So, he's saying, whether you were already in, quote unquote, by the circumcision, whether you were already a recipient to the promises by reason of your birth, or whether you were out, you didn't have the sign of circumcision, uh, you, were, you were apart from all of that, uh, he said, it doesn't matter, we all need Jesus. There is nobody getting into heaven based on their baptism. There is nobody getting into heaven based on their circumcision. There is nobody who is, who is getting into heaven based on any of those external factors. You are only getting into heaven insofar as you recognize your absolute need from Jesus, and you receive and rest in him alone, as he is offered to you in the gospel. He preached peace to those who were far, preached peace to those who were near. I love John chapter 3 and 4, the gospel, John. John chapter 3, we meet this religious guy named Nicodemus. Very good. John chapter 4, we meet a Samaritan woman named, we don't know. Uh, She's the Samaritan woman. Uh, But in in John chapter 3, you have Jesus preaching peace to those who were near. And in John chapter 4, we have Jesus preaching peace to those who were far. And, And they both needed Jesus. It didn't matter that Nicodemus was born an Israelite, that he had access to all of the laws and he was following them. Jesus said to him, you must be born again. You must be born of the water and the Spirit. Jesus said to the Samaritan woman who was profligate, living in all this wild ways, five husbands, you know, worshiping in whichever way she wanted to, whatever. He said, you have to come to the living water. It's only as you drink to this water that you will truly find peace. And this is what Paul is proclaiming. This is the victory of Christ. Christ comes, and He makes a way. He makes life for all people, near and far. The circumcision, the uncirc- uncircumcision. The, the rich, the poor, the black, the white, no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, the invitation is to come and to rest in the finished work of Christ, and therefore find shalom. We're going to look at this a lot more next week as we continue forward looking at what, what that means then for our life, because in verses 19 to 22, Paul comes and says, where is this peace uh, exhibited most clearly? You know, is it in nationalistic structures? Is it in our school systems? Is it all of these things? And Paul says, no. This new humanity that he's making is to be manifested in the church, first and foremost. And it's the church that goes out with this gloriously subversive message in order to offer this hope and this peace to the world. One writer says this, In Christ are forever made impossible all ideas of racial prejudices, nationalistic superiority, class distinction, religious bigotry, and personal dislikes by the welding together of all into one body. This workmanship of God does not come about by the reconstruction of human society on an external or an altogether new basis, but rather in Christ, the far off and the near, are united through his death to become a household of God, an ever-growing temple within which God finds for himself a dwelling place in his spirit. How do we know that Christ is victorious? We know it uh, because of this change that he has wrought in us. You know, a a movement from death to life, a movement from, from hatred and from dividing to humility that recognizes I am no better than anybody else. My sin, my heart attitudes required the death of the Son of God. And because of that, I can never think of myself more highly than my sister or my brother, no matter what their background is, no matter what they have done, no matter how they are labeled. And that really gives us hope. Now we're getting down to the crux of the matter, and and we can recognize that at one time maybe apart from Christ, we were without God and without hope in the world, but now we truly have hope. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the penetrating power of this word, uh, not to simply gloss over our junk, uh, our sin, our rebellion, our enmity, but to look it squarely in the face and deal with it in a way that we actually find peace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for becoming sin for us in order that we might become uh, the the newness of God, this new humanity uh, that reflects unity, that reflects the unity that comes through Christ. Lord, we thank you that you have overcome our hearts, that you have broken down the dividing wall of hostility. And we give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me invite you to rise in body.